The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me, and whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments? <laughs> At what point did our Lord give us a concise list to follow? Did he enumerate a Ten Commandments list as in the Old Testament? Or was it simply enough for us to go with that summation of the entire law that was asked? Well, what's the most important law? You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do we just love people and that's all? Sadly, no. Because <laughs> then it would be pretty easy. Rather, the Lord comes and invites us to take up his commandments as a sign of love for him. In our world today, even to speak of commandments is a foreign idea, because our world today loves what we would describe as relativism and subjectivism, that what's true for you is not true for me, that if I say the sky is green, you say the sky is blue, we can both be right, and that's okay. Truth is gone. Everything is up to one's particular opinion. If one feels a certain way, then that becomes truth. But that's not exactly the way that Christ sees things. And so he bids us to come and to embrace the truth of the gospel, the truth of our way of life as Christians, which ultimately is a little difficult for us. Because if we can always run through subjectivism or relativism and, and we can agree to disagree and I can always be right, then that makes things easy. But if from time to time I have to recognize and to admit that I am wrong, it becomes a little more difficult for us. And so the Lord bids us to heed certain commandments, commands of the law, to teach us how to love and to train us to walk in the path of heavenly life. But again, what commandments? We all know the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, and it would seem that they basically, they were a good model back then, but they're no longer that important. But the church sees quite the opposite. In fact, so does Christ. When approached by what the, the gospel describes as the rich young man, the man comes to the Lord and he says, Good master, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And the Lord said, You know the commandments. 
and begin to enumerate what we understand as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And the man said, All these I have observed from my youth. And then the Lord gave him an extra, an extra push, something particular to himself, not, not a, a commandment for everyone, but something very particular to the individual. And he simply said that if you've done all of these things and you still desire something more, then drop everything, sell everything you have, give it all away, and come follow me. And the man went away sad because he had many possessions. The main piece, though, is to recognize that when asked, what is the way to heaven, the Lord gives us the Ten Commandments. Not something simply just from the old law, but it still is the foundation of our belief and our practice as Catholics. That the law is not something that was done away with, but rather it was deepened. The Lord said, you've heard it said, but I say, right, on the mountain of, uh, on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but I say, and he takes everything that the Old Testament said, and he broadens it. And so he gives us these commandments, signs of our love. The Ten Commandments are broken up, as we know, into ten particular words. That's what the literal thing meant. A decalogue meant the ten words. So these were ten words from God, ten sayings from God. Catholics and Protestants actually typically have two different sets of Ten Commandments. Did y'all know that? Whenever they come, oftentimes the first four commandments in Protestant communities focus on the relationship with the Lord and the remaining six are towards neighbor. But in the Catholic Church, the first three are given towards the Lord and the remaining seven are given towards neighbor. And that's because... We essentially took our commandments from different places because the the Ten Commandments listed out, uh, they're given in two places in the scriptures. One's in Exodus and one's in Deuteronomy. And the way they're phrased can seem a little bit different. Uh, So we actually have two different lists. So if there's ever a confusion whenever you're talking with somebody of another faith, that's why. It's not that we got it wrong or that we changed things. It's just that we're coming from two different sets. So for us as Catholics, we profess these Ten Commandments. The first three specifically look at our relationship with the Lord God himself. The first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. Seems pretty simple. I'm a Christian, therefore, check. (laughs) And yet, the Lord invites us to look a little bit deeper. What are the ways that sometimes... Not by our words, but sometimes by our deeds, that we show that we've chosen something else over the Lord. We can look at common ways that the church has condemned other ways that are pseudo-religions of other places, where we look at our horoscopes and we look at tarot cards and palm readings and uh, you know, people with special mystical abilities to contact the dead. All of these are not in accord with our faith. But most of all, most of us don't fall into those things typically. More often than not, we fall into the things of whenever we face a choice between something that we enjoy in this world, some, some activity that we enjoy, some, some pleasure in this life, some particular good that we're seeking to attain. When that thing is placed on the opposite the side of the Lord, which side do we choose? Oftentimes we choose Christ, but occasionally, all of us, myself included, Choose the other thing. We choose something else over the Lord God. And we show that our love for God is not perfect. It's present, for sure. But it still needs a little increase. 
as we choose those things from time to time which are not God. And so the Lord bids us to increase our love. The second of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This happens all the time in our culture, so that it even has its own acronym now, OMG. How often it is said, not as a meaningful prayer, but as a simple phrase that pours out of our lips without us even recognizing, oh my God. We've heard it, right? Possibly we've said it. And yet to say that phrase, oh my God, is the beginning of a prayer. It's addressing the Lord. How many of our prayers to the life life of the church begin with, oh my God, something, something, something. And every time we say these words, which can be just a simple, again, a simple kind of gut reaction, a verbal gut reaction. We say, oh my God. And the Lord is like, yes, you called. (laughs) You need something? What's going on? Because the Lord is engaged in us. He knows he's listening to us constantly. And for us to call upon the name of the Lord and to leave him hanging It's a grave offense. It's calling upon the Lord God as if we were making a prayer and then to make a mockery of it instead. Much in the manner of the disciples, or not the disciples, the the um the whatever, the 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 armies, uh, the Roman the Roman militia, who with the Lord placed on his head a crown of thorns and a reed and a purple cloak around him and said, Hail King. There was a truth there, there was something that was right there. And yet they took it and they made it a mockery. So to allow the words, whenever we call upon the Lord, to make sure that it is indeed a proper prayer. Because prayers and names have power. Every single one of us knows that whenever we were called by our full name as a child, it meant something was wrong. (laughs) We were in trouble. And the one who was calling us by our full name was exercising an authority. There was power in using our name. So, too, remember the story of how Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane in his last hours in his earthly life, he was there and he was waiting. And, 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 and Judas comes with all those who are coming to, to take Jesus away to his passion. And Jesus asked, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember Jesus' response? I am. And that's the divine name. It's the name of God. God's name is I am who am. And so when he says I am... All the soldiers fall back and they fall to the ground because the name of God has power. It changes things. And so it's to be invoked with great seriousness. The third commandment is to keep holy the Sabbath. This is one that sadly has fallen unto uh, kind of neglect these days. How easy it is for us to simply say, keep holy the Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll I'll, I'll say my morning prayer. (laughs) But I got things to do today. I've got ball games to get to. I've got work to do. I've got stuff out in the yard. I've got these things I've got to go, you know, know, off on vacation. Got a beach to enjoy, right? And yet, it's a day for the Lord. It's important for us to recognize that even the Lord took a day of rest at the end of creation. On the seventh day, God himself rested. And if God needs it, how much more do we? A day of rest, to be with him, 
to come to Mass, to spend a little bit more time in prayer, to read the Scriptures, maybe to pray the Rosary as a family, to visit with friends. It's an important thing for us, recreation, rest in the Lord, because our world tells us otherwise. It's easy for us to allow ourselves to be caught up with so many of the things of the normal work week, even on Sunday. So that on Sunday we still need to, we need to go do more shopping, we need to get work ready so we can be ready for tomorrow for the work week. Things are growing in the fields, we've got to take care of them, we've got to get out there and work, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And we content ourselves with so many things. And yet for what? It's the Lord God who bids us rest. In the seminary, one of my spiritual directors during the time there, he was very adamant about me not studying on Sunday, which I thought was crazy. I mean, I'm studying the things of God. I'm reading spiritual books. Shouldn't I be able to simply just read about God on Sunday? And they said, are you reading about God for fun? Or are you reading about God so you can write your paper? Well, my paper, of course. And there's the problem. He pointed out to me that if we give God our best portion, that it'll be okay in the end. That if we give God the portion that, would, that we could use for something else, that we could use for our own, our own work, our own pleasures, our own needs, these kinds of things, if we give that portion to God, He will never be outdone in generosity. But if we let Him have some of our Sunday, in a very strange way, Time seems to stretch through the rest of the week. You can get as much done in a 24-hour period as you would be able to get in a 26-hour period. In a strange way, because God is able to do these things. If we give to our Lord, He will certainly bless us for it. And so to be able to get to Sunday Mass, especially. If we skip Sunday Mass for no good reason, it's a mortal sin. Period. And so the Lord bids us to come and to rest. Really, when we say we have an obligation to attend Holy Mass, we should say we have the privilege to attend Holy Mass. But think about the things that happen around the world. There are people in the South and Central America who maybe get Mass once every few months. Every now and then they'll see a priest. There are people, as we know, in the Middle East and in Africa who go to church on Sunday not knowing if they'll walk out the doors or not because they may get killed. Simply for going to Mass. And yet we can come to Mass in peace, worship our God in joy, and yet so easily other things creep in to become more important. The fourth commandment begins the transition for us into the things of our focus on our relationship with others. It begins first and foremost with the most important relationship that we have, that of our connection with our parents. Honor your mother and your father. An invitation for us to love our family, and especially to honor our parents who have given us life. Thankfully, we know that that doesn't expire at the age of 18 when we become adults. It's not that after 18 you no longer have to show honor and respect to your parents, quite the opposite. I think it begins to grow even more as we recognize in our own wisdom and age the gift that our parents are to us. But it's not simply to honor our parents, but it's also to honor those who have a parental role in our life, our godparents, aunts and uncles, maybe grandparents, elders in the community, 
those who have some exercise of authority over us in the local community, to be able to recognize that they serve us as parents, to be able to provide for our needs and to honor them as such. Number five is you shall not kill. Oddly enough, number five is mentioned quite frequently in the confessional. Usually, it's as a reference, as a gauge to show the goodness of the particular soul. It begins such as this. Uh, Father, it's been a while since my last confession. I go to church pretty regular and I hadn't killed anybody. So, uh, I think I'm doing all right. Well, if that's your measure of goodness... (laughs) we got some things to talk about. If not, holding, if not killing anybody means you're doing all right. What's having a bad day look like, you know? We recognize that certainly thou shalt not kill. It means you shouldn't take another person's life. But all of these, as we said, the Lord Jesus, he takes them even deeper. And it's to recognize that sometimes it's not simply to kill somebody completely. It's enough for us to abuse them. Abuse them physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. To see that even sometimes it doesn't have to be a physical response. It can be the meaning of our words or the lack of a loving gesture. That kills someone's hope. That kills someone's good reputation. That quenches something good and holy in a person. That those things too can places that can be killed. So it's for us to recognize not only to physically avoid killing others, but even to avoid that which can kill the soul, can kill the heart. Number six, you should not commit adultery. Essentially, this means that anything outside of a healthy sexual relationship within a blessed marriage, it breaks the rule, effectively speaking. But it's to go even beyond that, beyond the physical, is to recognize That adultery doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can also be emotional. If one avoids the emotional connection with one's spouse and begins to connect to another person on the emotional level that their spouse should fulfill, then this is a problem. It's a grave offense. Because one is neglecting intentionally a fidelity commitment to one's beloved. Number seven is you shall not steal. Most of us aren't going to Winn-Dixie or to Walmart and put Snickers bars in our pockets these days, I would imagine. Every now and then a, a canned good may slide across the scanner and it doesn't hit the scanner just right, and yet it still makes its way into our bag. Sometimes we'll let it slide, sometimes not. But also to recognize that stealing could be able to take an abortion to oneself what should be given directly to another. It could be in the sense of failing to give a just wage and work. It could be in the sense of being able to take what is someone else's, uh, someone else's ability to be praised for something that one hasn't done. But when the praise is due to another, but to accept it for ourselves. These two things are theft of a sort. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness. This was meant intentionally in the life of, uh, uh, of the court. Uh, that you would go, and they had to have two witnesses for every account, for every offense that was made. There had to be two witnesses. And so sometimes they would pay off an extra person. We'll give, you, we'll give you 50 bucks if you go up on the stand and lie. And you say that they said such and such, or they did such and such. We see it in the, in the account of our Lord, of how people came up and began to throw out all kinds of false claims. 
But it's more than that, too. It's the little lies, the little white lies. How big the fish was, proverbially speaking. huh? The little ways where we try to paint ourselves in a better light. or Maybe we try to paint someone else in a darker one. We bear false witness when we ought to be witnesses of truth itself. Christians. Imitators of the one who is the way and the truth and the life. The last two kind of come together. And these are the two that are compounded in the Protestant communities. This, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, and you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. And these two are essentially to be able to recognize that not everything belongs to me. That to be able to look upon another with lust in our heart breaks number six, but also it can break number nine. Because we're taking what belongs to another and trying to take it for ourselves, the pleasure of a beautiful person, and to apportion it to me, to enjoy my neighbor's goods for my own pleasure. To borrow without asking, effectively speaking. But also to recognize that sometimes the goods that we have of others, we sometimes don't want them to have it. We can have jealousy and envy. We can be upset that they get something that we didn't. They didn't earn it. They don't mean it. They, they, you know, and we can kind of come up with all these things in our heart of why their goods ought not to be respected for them. And yet the Lord invites us otherwise. Again, it's one thing to be able to go down the list of ten and to simply call them as black and white. I've not killed anybody. Check. But the Lord calls us to a much deeper place. To be able to look and to measure the love of our hearts. To what extent do we follow these rules? To what extent do we allow ourselves to walk in the path of heaven? Sometimes to be told by the Lord God, we need to change a bit. And sometimes affirmed in the goodness of the love that we possess. It's an invitation for us to show the Lord our love. Not because we're simply doing the right things. But we're doing the right things with the right intention. Because Christ is greater than everything in this world. Because no matter what, in, what ultimately comes, that Christ is greater than my desires. The Lord's will is better than mine. And in the midst of all these things, is to step aside myself and to allow Christ to take the first place. So pray that by the grace of this Mass, the grace of the Holy Eucharist, which we come to celebrate and to receive and to adore, that the Lord God would be with us, that he would fill us with his peace, and he would increase our love.